Welcome to Revisiting the Vault, a podcast where we're looking at the history of art, animation, music, and just about everything else, but through a Disney lens. Let's go ahead and tackle it. Oh, yes. All of the birds tweeting and being like, oh, it's it's spring. It's love season in the animal kingdom. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. The word Twitter pated mm-hmm. 100% Ugh. stuck in my head for the rest of my life. Yes, yes, yes. And Owl has this whole speech. I'm loving Owl at this point. And it, like all in my notes, every time he shows up, I'm like, I am this Owl. Yes. He goes and he lays it on real thick about how much love sucks. But it's coming for you. You're going to fall in love. You just wait for it. I'm just like, Owl, who cheated on you? (laughs) Who broke your heart, man? Mm -hmm. Because it gets a little bitter towards the end of it. But the animation in that part, oh, you feel like you're walking on air. And it shows him looking like he's walking on air. And he's like, you know, your head's turning. Everything that he's doing while he's talking about this is animated so fluidly and so beautifully that I got completely distracted from the heteronormativity of it. Right. And also when Bandy in... Feline reconnect. Yeah. They are walking on clouds. Yeah. And it's like, okay. It's Everything fine. that Al said comes true. Pretty mm-hmm. much exactly mm-hmm. as he said it. But I mean, they do that gross little thing that all the way up until the 80s, there were definitely movies where they've got like preteen or teenage boys that are just like, ew, girls. I'm not going to like girls. Like you're being dumb. It's not going to happen to me. And then literally the next thing is Flower sees the lady skunk and he's yeah. like, ooh. Let's just be practical about this for a second. If their voices have changed, then it has happened to you. You just didn't notice it yet. Yeah. Bambi, you've got a rack of antlers, my friend. (laughs) It happened. You're already there. You just haven't smelled Feline yet. It's coming. The way that plays out. So I start to get a little bit like, Owl, you're laying it on thick. And then I start to feel a little like, oh, we're doing that thing where all of the boys are like, we're going to have our boys club. We're just going to be like friends that are boys forever. And there's no girls Mm -hmm. allowed. It's just tired. Maybe it wasn't as tired in 1947. It probably was. But then the second that the girl skunk shows up, I just start to get madder and madder. Mm -hmm. First of all, I do appreciate, actually, I will point this out because I know we both noticed it, but that most of these animals, whether or not they would have eyelashes in real life, some of them would. I think deer would. Yeah. Bambi has some impressive eyelashes, but Phalene's are just longer. So all of the girl animals have longer eyelashes and usually blue eyes. Yes. So that you know they're girls. And my husband noticed that Phalene's eyes are wider, literally mm-hmm. bigger. Doe eyes. Exactly. But I have to say, as much as I was like, oh, yeah, of course, this is how they're showing that they're girls. At least they didn't try to put boobs on them. I know. Thank God. They did make them very stereotypically girly. We don't need the skunk to be like that. We don't need the girl rabbit to have blush on. And she's combing her ears. Yeah. We don't need these things. But at least... At least they didn't go as far as they could have. She doesn't have boobs and a butt. Phalene's the only girl that gets to talk. The other two just giggle. Mm -hmm. They just giggle and blink their very long eyelashes. And the boys... They fall over. Peace out. I'm done already. I surrender. There was a cute girl. She looked at me and it's over. And it's just... It's very much this like... The girls are lying in wait until they see a boy. And the boy is helpless... For her womanly wiles. Except Feline. She just kind of shows up and Bambi is a little bit thunderstruck. Yeah, Feline is actually 
they do that pretty differently. She's very much very assertive. I mean, she is in her first mm-hmm. scene when they're fawns, too. Yes. Where yes. she's just like, hey, I want to play with you. I actually thought she was kind of annoying in that scene. But when I was a kid, I probably thought it was hilarious. Sure. Baleen is just like, oh, hey, Bambi, you're growing up now and you're hot. Yeah. I, I put down in my notes, this girl knows what she wants and she's yeah. going to go out and she's going to get it. Good for her. Because she's yeah. not acting, you know, she's not combing her ears, whatever that is. Right. Bambi, she comes up, she's like, what's up, Bambi? And he is just gobsmacked by her presence and there's none of the weirdness well there no that's not true there is some weirdness but it's not like the other two i mean bambi has a history with failing he knows her right you know they were childhood friends or whatever and we don't know what happened in the intervening months while he was growing up without a mother either sure i mean i guess they didn't see each other because he didn't recognize her the thumper they do the thing where the girl rabbit touches him and he starts thumping his leg. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know what you're doing. This is a metaphor for. And I don't want you to. I don't want this. It's gross. It is gross. Let's just talk about the thumping for a second because I looked it up. Do rabbits really even thump? I mean, like I know they do. But like, what is the context for when they're thumping? Right. They thump when there's danger. And so this, it's, you know, they, they, may, they were trying to make animal reproduction titillating. Right. And that's gross. They've taken these animals and they've given them so much of a, a human voices, human personality, some human movements. And so when they start to do the spring love fest, it gets icky. It is very icky. And it's just like, please don't. Please don't. This is a kid's Mm-mm. movie about a fluffy bunny. And I don't want to think about it. Right. You know, there's the whole fact that it's super heteronormative and the animal kingdom is not. I don't know about any of these specific species, but there are plenty right. of things that are not a boy and a girl in the animal kingdom. Sure. It gets weird. And then Faleen is like leading Bambi off. I gotta say, I love the fact that Bambi's antlers get stuck in cherry blossoms and it's cute. Yes. But then she's leading him off to, you know, have their rendezvous or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm putting that in there. As a kid, I wouldn't have thought I would have been like, oh, they're going to go off and like, you know, run in the meadow together or whatever. And then this other buck shows up. I thought the animation here was a really interesting and effective choice. Mm. It gets much darker. Yeah, it's super dark, but they have like highlights of their outlines and it, it just worked. They also, they get a little extra muscular in this part like they start to look like bulls yeah they're drawn a little differently it becomes a little bit of almost a fantasy sequence yes but it's this weird dark moment where bambi is suddenly you know so far he's been a fawn and then in basically a day he is a young adult he meets the love of his life and suddenly he's gonna fight you know, not to the death, but it kind of looks like to the death. I 100% thought that Bambi killed that other deer. And then they show him getting up for like a split second. For the part of the story that they're telling there, I'm like, yeah, this animation is great. It's a choice to go more artistic Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I think it was the right choice. It was a choice driven by the story and it worked. It was interesting because Bambi up to this point has been a wobbly kid Mm -hmm. and then a somewhat wobbly adult. Because the first thing that happens is Faleen knocks him back into the water the same way she did when they were fawns. Then we get the sequence with them in the clouds with the Mm -hmm. song Love is a Song. Right. The list I found was that there are only four songs. There's Love is a Song, Little April Shower, Let's Sing a Gay Little Spring Song, which I think is the the birds. Mm -hmm. um, Because they have a line about tweeting and twittering about, let's Twitter and tweet about spring or something like that. Right. And then Looking for Romance, I Bring You a Song. Actually, so yeah, you're right. Now that I look at it, I Bring You a Song is a different one then love is a song love is a song must be the opening yeah that song first of all the vocal style they're back heavily into the real warbly tenor yeah little april shower and then the spring song were choral music 
Yeah. Little April shower has like a, an in the round kind of feel to it mm-hmm. that I loved. And I, I mean, I love that song. It's one of my favorite Disney songs that I totally forgot was in Bambi. I thought it was great. I loved the animation when they are, when the water is dripping from the trees and the mushroom yeah. and all that stuff and you see it pool and then it drips. I was just like, man, they're just, they're killing it. You can tell they learned a lot from Fantasia with the way they do that sequence, with the way mm-hmm. that the rain and the music are working together and the music is forming yes. the, the sounds of the rain. You've got, you know, the sounds for the thunder and the lightning and all of things like that. Literally, the phrase drip, drip, drop, little April shower runs through my head at least once a year. Right. And I put it in my notes like it actually started raining when that scene started. <laughs> when I was watching it and, you know, we're in the middle of April and I was like, well, there you go. Right. But yeah, I mean, that one's great. But then... I Bring You a Song and Love is a Song are both soloists. Forgettable. Can you feel the love tonight? It is not. (laughs) Right. It's meant to be this very specific type of scene. And like, even now, I couldn't tell you how it goes. It's not their best musical work in that part. Now, I think that the score of the whole movie is good. Well, yes. And that song, it's not the best but that animation scene with the moonlight and stuff, again, is so pretty. Yeah. Even just all of the basic scenery animation where it's misty and then like the trees in the foreground are just gorgeous and highlighted and there's always like right. a leaf that's right there. I thought all of that was just gorgeous. And then there were parts like the stag's fight or what this part with the moonlight. It was just worth the price of admission just for those things. The sort of diffuse... They're doing this. They said they were trying to be realistic and they said they were trying to do the realism, but they spent a lot of time doing that with the animals mm-hmm. and they did, I feel like more of an impressionist style on everything else because of where their inspiration came from, from these impressionist paintings right? from Tyrus Wong. So, but I think that works because I think that that makes the forest feel like a magical place, but like a magical place. That yes. Exists. Yes. It felt like a place that, like, I probably ran around in as a kid. Mm-hmm. Partially because your childhood memories get that little bit of a misty edge to them. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice because, like, in the further back, it's more and more misty. But then front and center, it is pretty sharp and defined. And just, I loved it. I really, really liked it. Yeah. There's so many things that I love about the art in this. I could go on forever. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because we will probably get to him way later. But I found out that Osama Tezuka did a manga adaptation of Bambi in 1951. Mm -hmm. I did not realize that we were going to start talking about Tezuka so early. I thought I had more time (laughs) to start researching him. Tezuka is basically the father of modern anime slash manga. Mm-hmm. He did Astro Boy. He did Kimba the White Lion, which is why his name is going to come up a lot when we talk about the Lion King. Right. He was... To say he was inspired by Disney is like the understatement of the century. Right. His love of Disney is what he brought to his art. That's why there are so many things in anime and manga that like are tied directly to Disney and the history of Disney animation. And I did not think that we were going to start talking about that until we got into the 1950s. Right. But here we are all of a sudden. He said that he went to see Bambi over 80 times. Holy crap. When it was released in Japan in 1951. I mean, if you think about it, that meant he was in a theater seat, bought a ticket and went to a theater seat 80 times. I went to E.T. five times. And that's probably my record. Uh, Yeah, that's probably about how many times I went to see E.T. also. Mm-hmm. My earliest memories in my life actually are of sitting in the theater watching E.T. Because every time it came through, I made my mom take me again. My uncle took me to it five times in the course of like a long weekend. And so when you think about it, 
you know, that's the movie that made me love movies. And to mm-hmm. think about the fact that there's this man who, like, changed the face of an art form that I also love. And he had that same kind of moment. And his moment was Bambi. Yeah. That's pretty major to me. And I, I also love the fact that, like, when you think about it now, that a lot of the art style of Bambi was then inspired by a, a Chinese-American immigrant. It all circles around and it all comes together. It all comes back to Bambi. Yeah, it comes back to Bambi, of all things. It's such beautiful art. But if we want to talk about the art, trying to figure out to have a less clunky transition, but we're just going to go with it. The forest fire. Yeah. The main things that I remembered when I was like, what happens in Bambi? You know, I remember the ice skating, which is adorable. Mm -hmm. And then I remembered Bambi's mom. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it was a thing that like traumatically changed me as a child. I wasn't positive if it was his mom or his dad. That to me, had did not even hold a candle to Artax in Neverending Story, which was way worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that and the forest fire. Yeah. The forest fire actually, for me, was the much more scary and traumatic thing. That whole hunt from there is, it is man, he is here again, many this time. Whew. Yeah. You know, to do a funny aside before we get into the forest fire, I love the fact that man is in the forest became the code phrase they used at Disney Studios to say that Walt was in the building. Yes. It is man. He is here again many this time. And it's so... Well, you know it's going to be bad, but you also know that the forest fire is coming. I had forgotten the dogs. I had forgotten they were there. Yeah. But as soon as you hear them barking, it started to come back. And that whole sequence... Yes. It's very terrifying. It feels long. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. It feels like it's probably the longest sequence in the movie. But, I mean, just because I glanced down and saw it in my notes... The quail. Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. I think that quail is more traumatic than Bambi's mom. Yes, I think so, too, because they're talking about it. I know. The one is just like, I'm going to run. I need to run. And they're like, no, you can't go. You can't leave. I mean, what is it? She says, like, whatever you do, you can't run. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. And, like, the thing is, at the beginning, you see the mommy quail and all the little babies following her. And it's like the cutest thing. I mean, you've come to really love those quail. And honestly, though, like, you don't see them a whole lot between the first and second but they're so perfect at the beginning and then that part when they're talking about it it's just like oh my god this is horrible it really really drives home like the intense amount of fear of being hunted terror oh it just broke my heart no wonder that like bambi apparently has inspired quite a lot of people to become environmentalists and vegetarians and all of this and i Mm -hmm. i think that's why i think it's things like the fact that the quail really Makes you think about it in a way that equates it with humanity. Yeah. Oh, because as soon as the, the one that's scared, as soon as she leaves her little den, you hear the gunshot Boom. and you see the feathers fly across the screen. You see her fall. Do you? I didn't yeah. even remember that much. I must have been like already trying to block it out because I know they shoot several of them. Yeah. You just keep hearing it. You see her fall and then you yeah. keep hearing it. It's like, oh my God. These hunters and these dogs are after everything. Yes. Let's talk about the dogs for a second, because when the dogs were part of a deer hunt, I was like, WTF, what is happening right now? Right. This part for me was the one part where I was like, this is not realistic. Deer are very fast. I don't know. I, you know, I didn't look up. I looked up the average lifespan of deer. I looked up reproductive cycles. I looked up whether or not deer had twins. They do. Mm -hmm. They usually have twins, actually. Sometimes triplets. And there have been times where they've had four. Whew. That poor mother. I know. But, you know, I looked up all of those things, but I did not look up the land speed of a white-tailed deer. I have to think that they are typically faster than a dog. That is the one kind of, other than all of the obvious stuff, like talking animals and rabbits that walk on two legs and all that. I mean, that's, you know. I think they must have done it just because they knew it would be scary. 
And it is. It is very scary. Mm -hmm. That's the only part, actually, where Phalene is up on the sort of the cliff and the dogs are barking at her and they've trapped her. That was the only part where I was like, this might be getting too scary, maybe? Yeah. Question mark. I don't know. As awful as those dogs are, it was not fun to watch them get crushed in a rock slide. That's just, mm -mm, no. Can we talk about the Great Prince of the Forest for a second? Because he and Bambi are together. And then you hear the hunting horns. You hear the dot muted horns. And it's like, okay, this is bad. This is Hunter's. And he, it's him who says, it is man, he is here again many this time. And he's like, Bambi, this way. I'm telling you, I know exactly why the GPF is the GPF. And is because <laughs> he is, he knows what's about to happen. And he is going to, his self-preservation instinct is strong. Yeah. And he's like, Bambi, if you want to be a GPF, follow me. <laughs> you know? Right. Bambi's mom says that like no other deer in the forest has lived half as long. Yes. Which means he must be seven years old. Yeah, because the right. average lifespan for a female deer in the wild was four years, I believe. But also, female deer live longer than male deer. Right. Uh, we should have a great queen of the forest, but okay. We totally should. Or a great princess, if you will. But I did like the fact that it was because he was old and wise and helped the animals. And that's why he was the great prince of the forest. It wasn't like some sort of... Divine right of kings nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, there was none of that. There wasn't like, oh, he has more antlers. But he does, though, because he's older. Well, and he's also, he's a 10-point buck. I, I paused it and counted because I was curious. Although they never show any of the male deer losing their antlers, which apparently they lose them every winter. Yes, they shed them and they regrow. Bambi gets shot. I did not remember yes. that. Holy crap. I cannot believe Bambi got shot. And it's something where I think, as a kid, I probably wouldn't have quite pieced it together the the way that I do as an adult, because there's mm-hmm. no blood. It's just he jumps and he falls and... And then he struggles. The GPF is like, get up. You have to get up. You are getting up and you are getting up like right the frick now. The way they put it together, he got shot. And in the book, he got shot. This is one of the mm-hmm. things that I found a plot summary and they were saying that one of the things that the Great Prince of the Forest teaches him is to, when he gets shot, to walk in circles mm. so that his blood trail confuses the dogs slash hunters. Oh, okay. And then they're fleeing from the dogs and the fire. Everything's terrible. This fire, again, with where they went with a choice to make it less realistic and more impressionistic, and it was the right choice. Totally. I think that made it scarier, but it didn't make it something where, like, I don't know, I think if they'd spent a lot of time making that fire really, really, really realistic fire, I don't think that it would have had the impact that it did. Then we get to the scene where, you know, they're washing up on the shore of this little island. They pull back for this ultra-wide shot of the forest on fire. And you've got this haze, the heat haze. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it. The way they animated that particular part, I don't know how they did it. It's gorgeous is what it is. Yeah, it's terrifyingly beautiful. But I'm like, you know, did they use paint? Did they use soft focus? I was looking at it trying to figure out, like, what actual technique they used, and I couldn't figure it out. I also, it's not as impressive, but I loved like, the falling ash that mm-hmm. is still burning. Because it looks like teeny tiny little, you know, shooting stars, basically. But they're dodging it. I just thought it was, it didn't look terribly real, but it was scary. Right. It was very effective for what it was without it needing to be perfect. I think if they had gone ultra realistic with it, for one thing, I don't think that the story beats would have worked as well. Because fire is a thing that is both predictable and unpredictable. It wouldn't have been as easy to believe 
the, oh, this tree trunk's going to fall. We're going to run this way. And the, the flame is going to jet out this way. Mm-hmm. I think that making it a little bit more of an artistic thing. And I also think it, it landed in that fantasy sequence kind of area, like the fight with the other buck. It gave it sort of a different feel that I think worked really well. Yeah. Although I do have to say, like, the animals all washing ashore on that little island. Oh, gosh. I know that that moment is actually supposed to be, like, sort of bittersweet and hopeful because of the way that, like, the tag on the music and the way mm-hmm. that they're doing it a little bit. But to me, it just felt like little, they were all refugees. Yes. That broke my heart. And it made me so mad about those damn hunters starting a forest fire. That was my thought about the... Hunters, it was just like, and of course, these hunters cause a forest fire and jerks. (laughs) This is an early example of the monsters more terrifying when you don't see it. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what level it was, but like AFI did when they were doing their 100 Years 100 movies. They did a whole bunch of like top lists and they did a list of top villains. And man in Bambi was like in the top 10, even though you never see him. Yeah. Part of it is because you never see him because he is this omnipresent threat in the lives of these deer. Yeah. But yeah, you know, then we have all of this stuff where Bambi has finally, like, grown, learned how to be a real true adult. Mm-hmm. And then we get everyone gathering for the next new prince is born. And we get to see all of the animals' little babies. Right. All of his old friends and all of their babies. Yeah. All of them getting together. The baby moles that bonk their heads oh, together. So cute. So cute. Okay. I have a little thing about this part. Yeah. That it was just kind of, I was writing out my notes and I was like, what happened? Okay. In the beginning, all of the fathers are absentee. Right. We don't meet any of them. Which makes sense for most of those animals. Yeah, absolutely. Deer definitely don't mate for life. That was a sidetrack. That's the thing. Like watching this movie, I got like super sidetracked by wanting to learn about the actual ecology of white-tailed deer. Yes. Which is the point, I think. I think that was what the author originally wanted when he wrote the book. Sure. I even looked up like why sometimes it's a buck versus a stag versus a bull. Basically, it's the size of the rack. So all the dads at the beginning are absentee. But now Bambi's friends are the dads. They are the ones bringing their kids to see the new baby. Mm -hmm. Where are the mothers this time? This is another instance of Disney honestly just taking feminine characters straight out of the story. Except for Feline and Bambi's mom. They're there for their utility. Exactly. And so is this because they're friends with Bambi? And if so, where were the GPF's friends when Bambi was born? And furthermore, are we expected to believe that Bambi was his only son? Because if he is the oldest stag by twice as long as all the other guys, surely he's got other kids. So what happened to those guys? Did we make a fuss about Bambi because... He's the son born to Bambi's mom, who is also somehow special. We just don't know about it. Yeah. This scene, honestly, this is the one scene where I was like, this is weird. And I get it. You have to kind of bring the gang back together again. I understand it. Yeah. I think they were just trying to bookend it. I got very confused by the social structure of this whole thing because... It is bonkers. The Great Prince of the Forns should have, like, oodles of kids. and Exactly. And what makes Bambi so special? They did not think it through. (laughs) No, they didn't. And the thing is, like, for the rest of this movie, none of those things bothered me. But at the end, I was like, what happened? And I mean, again, I do, I get it. You can't just abandon, Thumper is a pretty big character for the first, I don't know what, two thirds of this movie. You cannot just abandon him at the end. Yeah, you need to see that everybody got there happily ever after. Yeah, it's a Disney movie at the end of the day. It's just, here's this one glaring thing at the very end where you're like, what happened? What? 
Anyway. I mean, they could have just had the moms and dads in both. Yeah. Instead exactly. of moms in the beginning and dads at the end. It, that would have been relatively simple. Right. Flower named his son Bambi. Which is weird. Which is weird. And also, I made a joke, but I honestly, if I really wanted to like rewatch it, and who knows, maybe while I'm recovering, I will, but I kind of wanted to just keep track of how many times people say the word Bambi in this movie. Oh my gosh. And whether or not it's actually more than half the dialogue. It's pr- It's got to be close. It's got to be close. Baleen, like during the forest fire scene, I mean, it's just constant. Just Bambi, Bambi, Bambi. Bambi. Like, over yeah. and over. And so then when Flower comes out and he's like, Bambi, I'm like, oh my God, aren't we done with this yet? Right. And then it turns out that it's his baby. But then Bambi is now also an absentee father. Yes, but if, but all the other dads are there. His friends are taking care of their babies, but Bambi's like, now I'm too cool for this. He's off with the GPF, learning self-preservation. Yeah. But, and you know, as much as we've talked about this, and as much time as we've spent talking about this movie, it's only an hour and 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. All of this stuff in it that, you know, you remember Bambi's mom as this huge cultural juggernaut of a moment. It's like five minutes. Yeah, and it never gets brought up again. Like, the forest fire, even, is shorter. It's the longest sequence, I think, but it's shorter than I would have thought. The whole movie just goes by at a pretty good clip. I honestly think the ice skating scene might be longer. It might be. Than Bambi's mom. Oh, longer than Bambi's mom. It definitely is. Some of the animation with Bambi's movement and stuff, we were talking about how good it was. It's funny that I think it is pretty accurate and pretty good, but it's also decidedly Mm puppy-like when he is learning to walk and he kind of waggles his butt. I don't think deer do that so much. <laughs> they will wag their tail like that. They will like flick it, but it's not, yay, I'm happy I'm going to wag my tail the way a puppy does. Right. But again, it's, I think that's an effective way to make people be like, oh, it's a little deer. It's kind of like a pet. Right. I think in a good way. I did also read some interesting stuff because apparently Bambi was the first spokesperson for the campaigns against forest fires. It makes sense. Disney only licensed it for a year. And so they had mm-hmm. to come up with something else. And that's when Smokey the Bear was invented. So again, with it all coming back to Bambi, the forest fire in Bambi definitely made me afraid of fire. For It was just not a bad thing. Let's be right. real. I know that I saw this movie as a kid. I know I must have, but I don't remember seeing it because I remember reading the book with the record. <laughs> and I know we didn't own it. It came out on the first home video release was in 1989. So I would have been 10. So I don't think I, that's something I would have purchased. So I had to have, I know I saw it. I, well, I feel like I did. I know we owned it, but my parents bought every Disney VHS the day it came out, basically. So, And we have talked about this. I grew up in a media vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> so I know we didn't own it. But yeah, I mean, I don't remember watching it a lot. But I... I'm pretty sure I did. I remember April showers. I remember yeah. all of that. There were a lot of thumpers lines that, like, I could hear mm-hmm. in my head as he was saying it. Oh, the thing about the clover. The whole, like, he's a little wobbly, ain't he? And my, I could hear exactly how that line was going to go. Like, I already knew it. Mm-hmm. All of this was in my head well enough. So I must have watched it. It's not like I just watched it once in 1989 and then never watched it again. But it wasn't on the TV on repeat like Cinderella. Right. Which definitely was. Which, you know, is as good a time of any as any to talk about the fact that I figure next what we're going to do, if you're still up for it, is both watch however many of the package films that we want. Because at this point in Disney history, he was going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. The war was on. He just lost half of his workforce. And there was a whole lot of workforce attrition because they were becoming soldiers. And so he started releasing the package films, which were short films strung together that were loosely related 
sometimes not related at all. And I don't consider them true features. So what we're going to do is just sort of watch them, talk about them, and be like, you know, here's some stuff that happened during the package films. Sure. But then that'll be our fun aside before we get back into the thick of it with Cinderella. Yes. Boy, an eight-year gap. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, he's doing, it's the six package films in there. Right. And doing a lot of propaganda and training films for the military. Yes. So it's not that they weren't working. They were just not right. working on this. So, because when I was looking at some of the voice actors, there was one, and I don't have my notes, my handwritten notes in front of me where I took it down, but there was one who was in, he did voice work for a lot of them. Yeah, there were several people that sort of started to become Disney regulars. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Owl, if it was Friend Owl, one of them that just sort of became like their go-to narrator guy. There's one that was in the Jungle Book, and another one was Winnie in a couple of the Winnie the Pooh movies. Oh, it's the Great Prince of the Forest becomes their narrator guy. Fred. Fred Shields. Yeah. So he become he does a lot of narrating work. It absolutely tracks. Although I do, I just saw my note about this grown up flower who talks to his mm-hmm. his son Bambi is our frenemy, Mister Stork. Yes. What is his real name? Uh, I want to say Sterling Holland. Yes. I think he is the one who was Winnie the Pooh. Sterling Holloway. That's right. I could be mistaken, but I think he is the one who played Winnie the Pooh in a couple of the short Winnie the Pooh he did. movies. He did. And he's also yep. Ka, the snake in the Jungle mm-hmm. Book. Ka the snake. And the Cheshire Cat. Yep. Wow. I mean, this guy is just going to be coming up again and again. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm grumpy that his first Disney job was Mr. Stork. Revisiting the Vault is a nine-hour films production and is edited by Mary Ratliff. Our music is by Music Motion and Lynn Publishing. We are not affiliated with or authorized by the Walt Disney Company. You can find us on Twitter at RevisitTheVault, and you can find our website at RevisitingTheVault.com. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. Patrons can get personalized thank you cards, stickers, and access to deleted scenes and outtakes. You can find that over at Patreon.com slash 9HourFilms. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do is to tell other people about the show and make sure that you leave a review in whatever app you're using to listen. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.